Hey friends, welcome to Wednesday, April the 6th, and to this midweek episode of Enough for Today. I'm really glad that you joined me. We are in Psalm 39, and I want to invite you to join us tonight at Emmanuel at 7 o'clock. We have a night of prayer, Lord's Table. Our guest speaker, Ken Baker, a pastor from the Bronx, New York, a church that we support, and it'll just be an encouraging time. We're going to really have a focused time of prayer for Easter. Well, find your place in Psalm 39, and we are about midway through this, and this has been a rich study. I don't know about you, but it has really um, blessed me to think through and meditate on this psalm. I've learned so much, and I've considered so many things. This is a heavy psalm, and of all the psalms, this honestly has been one of my favorite studies, which is ironic because it's kind of dark, but we all go through dark times. We go through heaviness of soul for a variety of reasons, and, and so we can understand Psalm 39 and we can apply Psalm 39 to our darkness. Now, we've made it up through about verse 9. So let me give you just a quick flyby. Verses 1 and 2, David tries to handle his darkness the wrong way. He says, I'm going to bottle it up. Uh, but it doesn't work. He says, my sorrow only stirred up. Verse 3, my heart was hot. The fire burned. And so it just boiled. So he said, instead, I decided to speak, not vent it, but I decided to speak, vent it to God, maybe would be the answer. He speaks to the Lord, verse four, Lord. Now look at this. He says, make me to know. Now I didn't talk about this when we were back at this verse, but this struck me today as I reread it. Notice that David does not first pray, Lord, deliver me. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, take this away. Lord, stop this experience. That's what we would want to pray. God, get me out of this. No, David says, make me know, okay? He wants to understand, okay? And here's the reason why. Um, David at the core has a true heart of faith. That's why he's talking to God. And he knows that everything is deliberative with God. And so, if he just asks to get out of the circumstance, then he's going to circumvent. He's asking to circumvent the will of God. But if he's asking for understanding, he's saying, God, shape me, grow me, mature me, give me perspective, teach me, give me from this experience what you're trying to give me. He's saying, I have an open, teachable heart. And he's acknowledging that knowing God and knowing and understanding God, what we need in our darkness of soul is not escape from darkness as much as understanding of the darkness, understanding what God is doing in the darkness, that God is active in that darkness. And the understanding of that gives us perspective and context and helps us to frame that darkness so we are not hopeless or we're not despairing or giving up. So he then recounts to God his perceptions I feel like my life is short, frail. Uh, my age is nothing. Life is vanity and futile. Um, everybody's putting on a vain show. Everybody lives a noisy, disquieted life for vain. Everybody's heaping up material riches for no purpose at all. So it goes through all this futility. But again, it all traces back to Lord, make me know. So it's almost like he's saying, this is my view, but my view is not accurate So God, give me a different view. Teach me how to see these things through your eyes. And verse 7, And now, Lord, 
what wait I for? I just want you to see the contrast between life is futile and verse 7, now there's something worth waiting for and there's something worth hoping in. My hope is in thee. Verse 8, there's something to anticipate deliverance from. Deliver me. So now he's asking for deliverance, but even this I want you to catch. He's asking deliverance first from his sin. Uh, Probably the presence and the um, reality of his sin, but also the outcomes, the results. So God, deliver me from my own uh, sinfulness and struggles and make me not a reproach. Verse, excuse me, verse 9, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. Verse 9 is profound because he's saying, I held my peace because I realized you're at work. You're doing this. You're doing it. What now? Even in the darkness, wonderful hope, something to wait for, someone to hope in, deliverance to anticipate, um, and the knowledge that God is doing it. Do you see in verses 7, 8, and 9 how God, during David's prayer, is already answering his prayer of verse 4? Lord, make me to know. Well, now 7, 8, and 9, he's starting to know. God's doing it. So now we pick it up in a new verse. Um, and, and what hope it is when you're in a dark time to know that God is at work, to know that God's doing it. We talked about that yesterday. So now David is going to pray again a prayer, a request, remove. So we've prayed deliver. First, make me know. Then we've prayed deliver. Now he's praying remove. Remove what? And I want you to track the simple language here, and we'll uh, we'll draw it out. Remove thy stroke away from me. Thy stroke is your striking, your rebuke, okay? Your corrective, chastening actions. Remove your stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Um. So David is praying for removal. Nothing wrong with that. God, can you can you uh, help me learn this, grow through this, but but stop the chastening, okay? Remove the stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Now, let's think biblically. Let's think theologically. Is David really consumed by the blow of God's hand? Is that how God works? Not for his children, okay? God is a judge and he will consume as a righteous judge. But those who are repentant, he is long-suffering and merciful and gracious. That's how he defines himself. So no, God is not consuming David by the blows of his hand. But that's David's sense. That's David's experience, okay? God, can you remove this? Because it feels like I'm being totally consumed by what you're doing in my life. I want you to think of a small child being disciplined by his parents in any way, whether that's a spanking or grounding or just a a rebuke, a firm rebuke. What does the child do? The child melts down emotionally. Why? Because this is the end of the world, okay? According to that child, the, the frustration, the chastening, the anger, whatever you want to call it, of these parents is consuming me, okay? So David, as a little child before the Lord, feels that way, even though that's not the reality of it, okay? Theologically, that's not the reality of it. 
experientially and emotionally, it sure feels like it is. So God's never going to press us or chasten us beyond the grace that we have to walk through it. He's going to give us the grace that, that we need. But David feels in this moment like he's, like he's going to be consumed by it. And now he characterizes this chastening work of God in verse 11. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth, Surely every man is vanity, Selah. Now, let's break this down. Simple language. When thou, when God, with successive rebukes, corrects a man for his own iniquity or sin. Okay, this is a loving father. A series of rebukes correcting a man for his sin. What is the net impact of that? David says, you make his beauty to consume away like a moth. Now, remember, Hebrew language is conceptual. So, what does you make his beauty? Well, whatever we consider beautiful about ourselves, whatever we take sort of an illicit pride in, okay? Our ego, our appearance, our youth, our, our self-confidence, our achievements, our material world, our, uh, our uh, things that are beautiful to us. But David says these things that are beautiful to us are as fragile as the wings of a moth. Have you ever gotten the dust off of a wing of a moth onto your fingers? Or you ever dealt with a moth you know, in terms of crushing it or killing it or trying to get it out of your house? They fall apart. I mean, they barely are held together. They're so fragile. And once that dust starts to come off, it's the end, okay? David says, I realize because of your, because of your correction, I realize that um, the things that I think define me, make me beautiful, make me strong, make me shining in this life, really they're so easily consumed. They fall apart so easily. They're fragile. They're fluid. They're fickle. They're, they just are not substantive. And, and David says, when you correct a man, things that he's attached himself to in terms of beauty, consume away. And then he says, surely every man is vanity. Um, Surely every man is more bound up by vain definitions of beauty than that man really realizes. Now I want to give me another minute or two. Do you realize, my friend, you and I are more vain than we know. We care at a level about our ego and our pride and our own beauty more than we're willing to admit. And it is the rebuke, the correction, the breaking of God that shows us we had attached ourselves to moth-like fragility, things that we thought defined us and substantiated us and made us beautiful really do not. And they consume away and, oh, um, the vanity that's exposed is alarming. It's kind of discouraging when you think about, wow, I didn't realize I was that vain. It's kind of a breaking, sad experience. But and here's the beauty of this. God in the consuming of the beauty is doing a deep, deep work. And so, my friend, I want to leave you with this thought, okay, that if you are in darkness of soul, 
God is active in your life. He's doing it. And you can wait and you can hope and you can pray for deliverance. You can pray for the removal. You can confess to God. It feels like you're being consumed. But in the end, remember this. As things that you think make you beautiful are being consumed away, the loving Father of your heart is going to show you more deeply, more eternally beautiful things. And you're going to be redefined with a richer, fuller, deeper beauty. That is enough for today. Happy Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow.